Blog Talk Radio. Hi there. I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. But we know that in order to continue living full lives, we need to plan for our future, and that's where today's guest comes in. Jill Vitale Awesome is president and CEO of the Eden Alternative. She's also the author and co-publisher, along with AARP, of a fabulous new book. It's called Mind Shift, Disrupting the Status Quo of Senior Living. And boy, this book explores the real issues of aging. And it goes from the darket from ageism, ableism, senior service industries, retirement communities, and senior living options. Uh, Once again, we boomers are revolutionizing society. It's my tagline. But this book provides a lot of vital information we need to know. I can't wait to get going on this one. So welcome, Jill. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Eileen. Well, I'd like to start out by saying, uh, uh, reiterating what I just did. I mean, the information that you you are sharing in this book and will share with us in a minute uh, really is incredibly important. Um, and as we're aging, and I'm a, a leading-edge boomer, so I'm I'm way up there, but it can feel kind of frightening and confusing when we think about these kinds of options around our future needs. And so I know you're going to to make it all better and give us the information we need. But you found some real challenges when you started looking into this. So tell us what led you to want to write this book. Sure. So um, I've, I've worked in the field of aging services for about 20 years. And I started out as a nursing home administrator back in the 90s and, and, and over, you know, led retirement communities and assisted living communities. And I came from a place and, and an educational background that was in hospitality. And so I really um, would run my communities like resorts. And I was very focused on customer service and doing for people and, and, and you know, myself and the organization that, that owned the communities, we made the rules, we ran the show, um, just like, you know, in a hotel, right? The, the people that stay in a hotel don't have a say in things. And so that's how I ran things. But as I really started understanding the principles of, of how, we, how we live well as we age, I realized that the things I was doing were undermining the people that lived in my community. You know, I realized I was really paternalistic in my practices, and I was so focused on how do I keep everybody safe that I was undermining the decision-making of the people that lived in the community. Um, you know, we, I really what I, what I realized I was doing is uh, – is treating the people that lived in my community like consumers instead of engaged citizens. And, and that was really undermining things. So once I really started shifting my thinking and doing things differently at my community, amazing things started happening. You know, we had this innovation and belonging and growth and a real community and everybody there had a role to play. And, you know, I see that trend in our field where, we know we need to fix things, and we know we want to, in this field, appeal to baby boomers. And the way I, I really started realizing that the way we were trying to fix things was by building prettier buildings and more amenities. But the change that we need is so much deeper. You know, it's, it's about changing the way we view aging and creating those cultures where people have purpose and growth and, and belonging. And so... When I really started looking at all that, I thought, gosh, 
you know what, I want to write a book so other leaders in this field can, can start to drive change as well. And what was interesting, I wrote it for people that work in the senior living field, but a lot of people have read it that, that are, you know, in the general public and have found that it, it's extremely useful as well because, you know, we're all aging. We're all going to be impacted like, by this, like you said. So that's really what drove me, drove me to do this is I want to enact change. Well, Jill, I was lucky enough, I unfortunately haven't had an opportunity to get all the way through your book, but I did read enough to know you have such compassion for other people. Um, obviously, for those of us uh, way on the 5C side of 50, if I may refer to the title of the show, but no, you really do. And you also have a real honesty about you. In addition to the compassion you have, you deliver some real well, let's say maybe not easy to accept truths that um, people who work in this industry need to know about it. And I would like to say uh, I was blown away by Chapter 1 and the first section in Chapter 1. You've got an, a part entitled 24 Hours in a Nursing Home. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So when I started as an administrator, um, I realized I had no idea what it was like to live in a community. So I asked my team to admit me as a resident, right, and come up with typical diagnoses for me, and, um, and, then, and then I would stay for 24 hours. And I did this multiple times over my career. But, you know, what, I, what, here's, here was the really big takeaway for me is that the problem, because it was, a, it was a disturbing experience for me. You know, I, I was woken up constantly, and I ended up sleep-deprived, and I really lost control over my life in 24 hours. But what I realized mm-hmm. is that it's not the people that work in the communities. It wasn't the team members doing things wrong. They were doing exactly what my systems and processes taught them to do. And so they were doing their part. And so it was this huge awakening for me that the problem isn't with the people that work in our communities. It's with the systems that have to change. And that is really, that experience for me shifted my thinking about everything I've done ever since having that experience. Well, I, I have to say, again, I think anybody, or mainly most people, 99-plus percentage of the people that would go into that uh, job or that focus have to be compassionate, and I know you are as well. So like you say, it's it's more the system. But, boy, talk about a dehumanizing experience. I mean, a little, the boredom, let alone the idea, yeah. you know, the, the thought that you're no longer in control of your life. And then the other thing I, I thought was really interesting is when you – when you're just sitting there and there's no purpose other than, you know, breathing, I guess. I mean, I, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but but meals become such a big deal, and so people started hoarding food, and you all these strange outcomes that we, you know, wouldn't even recognize. Right, and that, and a lot of times we attribute things that we see to people's age or their, you know, their their medical um, challenges that they have, but it's the environment. And any of us, you know, if we were in that situation, well, you know, where you don't have any opportunity to give back anymore, you're just the recipient of services, um, and you're not necessarily doing things that are meaningful to you, we're going, if you go in a nursing home and you see people slumped over in their chairs, it's not because of their physical ailment, it's because, it's because their, their spirit is dying. And so, 
And but, but the good thing is, before we scare everybody in your audience, is it doesn't have to be that way. And there are a lot of homes that are working to do things differently. So that's that's my upside to this that I want to make sure we get out there. Well, absolutely, Jill, and you're right. We don't need to dwell on all, all of this too much, but I just I just would like to say that your book is an eye-opener. We'll leave it at that. Um, but also, as you said, your goal uh, is to make people aware of the situation and do your part into, you know, making things better, which I think is wonderful. Uh, and one of the things, I learned a new word. Uh, I had never heard the term ableism. Uh, you do talk mm. about that quite a bit. Uh, we've heard, all of us have heard of ageism, and especially as boomers, as, you know, we weren't we weren't going to trust anyone over 30. Oops. <laughs> you know, right. Anyway, now there's a new term out there ableism what is ableism and uh, how does that impact uh, senior living options so ableism the way I define ableism is that it's prejudice against people who are living with different physical or cognitive abilities and this I, I don't believe you can talk about ageism without addressing ableism um, so there's a really interesting definition. Um, Todd Nelson, who's a researcher and a psychologist, coined this definition of ageism, and that it's prejudice against our feared future self. And so what we see happening um, in in communities, or in not not in communities, is there's there's ageism and ableism that occurs. So first of all, when people say, when, and I've heard this a lot of times from people who say. Um, they could be in their 80s or 90s, and they go look at a senior living community, and they say, I'm not ready yet. I don't want to live with a bunch of old people because of that stigma of being older. Even when we are ourselves older, we don't want to be associated with that. And what happens sometimes um, in cultures where this is not addressed, and there are communities that are addressing this, is that that fear of what will happen to me as I age, uh, the fear of, of having dementia, the fear of having frailty or needing to use a walker or a wheelchair. The way that sometimes can play out is the people that live in senior living communities can ostracize the people who are living with dementia or are living with frailty because of fear, right? And so when I'm afraid of something, I want to push it aside and make it not like me. And that um, is something that really needs to be, and it's starting to be addressed in community settings uh, because, you know, we know that we need to belong to be well. And, and the more we, um, you know, ostracize people, marginalize people who are living with different abilities, that impacts, impacts them significantly and impacts the culture of the overall community. So that's a big part of the work that we do, too. Is, is helping people to think differently about that. And, and when you educate people, the fear starts to go away. And that's what I saw happen in my community as people started to really embrace and support their neighbors who were living with dementia or frailty. Well, and Jill, I mean, another thing that you bring up in the book that just I never would have thought of, but it's so important. You were talking about we need to belong. We need to feel, you know, like we have a purpose and, and those kinds of things. And if the community is too much like Disneyland or too much like a high-end hotel, it looks real nice and there's all these things to do, but nobody, you know, we we need, we need have as human beings, no matter what our age, we have a need to contribute and feel like we are, you know, doing something beyond just sitting back and enjoying ourselves. Yes, yes. All the research shows that we need to have purpose in our lives, right? And we need to give back. 
Uh, and we need to be a part of a community. So I, I always talk to people, you know, if you go to a hotel and the general manager came and said, oh, I want to introduce you to the people in the room next door to you, you'd be like, um, that's not what that's not what, what? I expect in a hotel, <laughs> right? And in and, and in Disney World, if you knew if they if you saw the things that the unfortunate things that happen behind the scenes, it would ruin your experience. But we living in a community is not Disney World, and it's not a resort; it's real life. And so I I've really come to believe very strongly we need to focus on becoming community builders. And, and, you know, part of that, too, is that life isn't always happy as we get older. And, and, and hard things happen in community settings, you know. With, we lose um, friends and neighbors and people get sick. And the more we try to pretend it's this, you know, always happy, um, perfect experience, we're really undermining community um, and that whole process of, of living if we're ignoring the, the reality of life. So that's oh, another thing that you brought up. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's I, I'm okay. sorry, Joe. I just stepped on your passion. I apologize. But I was going to say, too, <laughs> that you bring up in the blue zones, the people that live the longest, they don't have everybody doing everything for them. They're, you know, they're, they're engaged in life, the ups and the downs. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what. That's what's been found in, you know, multiple different studies is, is people who have a role to play and are doing things in, in their day-to-day life live longer, live better. And I think we need to really look at um, how we can create more environments that support that rather than, you know, come here and put your feet up and you never have to do anything ever again. Yeah. Well, Jill, I could talk to you forever. We are growing a little low on time, but I did want to ask you before we have to close now, uh, again, my peers, we're of a certain age that we need to start considering these kinds of things. Are there any tips you would have for us personally or if you're younger, you know, for our parents, ways that, you know, things that we might want to know about before we make any decisions on moving into a community? Uh, Absolutely. So, here, here's some things to consider. So the majority of people um, say that I am going to stay in my house and I'm going to age in place and I'm not leaving my house in, until I die. Um, and there's a huge movement for aging in place, and that can be great for some people. And, and it, it can be wonderful for some people. And I see a lot of people who end up living alone in their homes that aren't designed for changing mobility needs and worse, they become isolated. So you stay in your home, yeah. your neighbors eventually move away, you can't drive at night, uh, your world starts to become smaller and smaller, which then leads to isolation, which we know now, right? Isolation is a health epidemic. And so uh, what I encourage people to do is, yes, it may be, and, and if you can stay in your home and have per- find purpose and find community and belonging, great. But look at what's out there. Look and look beyond the chandeliers and the resort amenities and look for the right culture where, where they have those practices in place to, to live well. Um, and here's what I told my parents when they were considering looking. If you wait until you're ready to move, it's usually too late. And then you end up, you and your family mm-hmm. end up in making a decision in crisis mode. And I have seen that in working in this field more times than I can count. 
So I think it's really being proactive and getting out there and seeing everything that's out there and deciding how you want to, how, how do we want to live? How do we want to live our lives and, and, and making a decision before you have to make a decision? That'd be my biggest piece of advice. Wow, that is extremely helpful, Jill. And I, for a moment, I kind of took my breath away a little bit. But you're absolutely right because, boy, uh, it's so much better to, to when you have choices, when you have options, when you have, you know, again, a, your own direction behind where you're going, rather than in some crisis situation where you just have to grab something. Uh, very helpful yeah. information. Uh, and also, I wanted to ask but again before we close or mention AARP is a publisher of your book. How did that come about, and where can we get the book, find out more about you? Because I know Eden Alternative also has a website. Yes, we do. So AARP came on board. I, my original publisher, and it's still my publisher, it was a, a health professions press. But AARP has been, with their Disrupt Aging um, initiative, has been really working to change the conversation about aging. And so they really saw this, and I was thrilled when they saw this book as a piece of that. So I'm thrilled to, to have my book be a part of the work that AARP is doing. Um, the book, you can find out more about me and the Eden Alternative. Um, the Eden Alternative is a not-for-profit. Our website is edenalt.org. And my book is available there, and it's also available on Amazon and other online uh, retailers as well. And I can tell everybody out there just from listening and some of the things that we've had a chance to cover in this conversation, this book is worth getting uh, really for you, for your friends, for your family, for your parents, again, for yourself. So before we have to leave, uh, what do you hope uh, our audience and others who have the, uh, the great good fortune of finding your book, what do you want them to take away from reading your book? My my big hope is that is that people become more aware of ageism and ableism and how it is impacting our own uh, personal journeys and how it's impacting uh, the services that are available for for older people. I, we, you know we've got it we've got to uh, really start addressing this and move forward. Well, on that note, we will have to close, but I have to say I've learned a lot. I know everybody out there has. Again, your compassion, your honesty, all of that is so greatly appreciated. And your time. So thank you, Jill. Thank you so much, Eileen. It was great being with you. Well, and I urge everybody out there, please do check out not only uh, Eden Alternative's website, but Jill's amazing book, Mind Shift, Disrupting the Status Quo of Senior Living. It's going to provide you with solid facts and resources you need to know to make wise choices. It's also going to really give you a, a heads up on some of the options and some of the issues that, that we seniors face now and uh, in the future as well. But before you do that, make sure you go out there and check the world just how feisty a woman over 50 can be. This is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio saying I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.